continuing in our sermon series, No Cure for Being Human. A look at the human experience. We know that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And so we've been working our way through, and next week actually is Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday. But today our topic is anger. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever felt angry? Don't lie. Every hand should be up. Every hand should be up. Dick Jones was sitting there very pious. Yeah, you're... I've talked with both your daughters. I know the truth. I know the truth. You know, you learn a lot about anger on TV, such as a Snickers bar cures hanger. When did hanger come into our lexicon? Or those angry birds. Why are those birds so angry? But the sermon today is really drawn from uh, four different places. Of course, Scripture. Preachers have to start with Scripture, but also my personal experience. But then two other sources. I had a 20-minute interview. We recorded it with Chris Straw, a member of the church. Is Chris in the choir today? Yep, there she is. Uh, Chris is a licensed clinical psychologist, a faculty member at the Wisconsin School of Professional Psychology, a board member of Wisconsin Psych- Psych- Psychology Association. I'm just trying to butter her up. But... Uh, Her full video is going to be posted online uh, tomorrow afternoon. So if you want to hear the exchange that she and I had, there's some really wonderful things there. And then my small group gave me a copy of a chapter out of a little book that some of the women in the church are reading. And the book's title is, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk. If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk. And the author's name is John Pavlitz. And it was a chapter called Holy Curiosity. And so let me just tell you what I'm going to try and accomplish. We're going to take a look at what anger is and what anger isn't. We're going to take a look at the ways in which we can make sure that we don't allow our anger to turn into something that is sinful, to make sure our anger doesn't kind of knock down the, the kingdom of God. And the final thing I'm going to do, and this may surprise you or it may not, We're going to look at times when anger is the only right response to certain situations. Now, we know that there are lots of emotions, there's lots of feelings, but there are basically four kind of major ones. They are, I'm happy, I'm sad, I have fear, or I am angry. Not too long ago, Janet and I watched a movie on Netflix called The Atom Project. Has anyone watched The Atom Project? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything here. It's on Netflix, but it stars Ryan Reynolds, so there's a whole demographic in our country that would watch anything that Ryan Reynolds is in. Jennifer Gardner, there's another part of society that would watch anything she's in. And then there's a guy from Kenosha, Wisconsin, Mark Ruffalo. And as I said, I'm not going to spoil it, but right away you realize that the father has passed away. The father has passed away, and, and they talk about how they handled that anger. And the line from the movie that just jumped out at me was this. The man said, it's easier to be angry than it is to be sad. It's easier to be angry than it is to be sad. And, and maybe that one line, out of so many lines in that movie, one, one of the reasons that stuck out with me is because I understand it. 
It resonates with me. Many of you know because you've been listening to me week in, week out for six years, but my dad got sick when I was only eight years old. And for more than a decade, I chose to feed the anger in me rather than acknowledge my sadness. I was angry, not sad, that I would not be able to go hunting and fishing with my father, two things he loved to do and two things he did quite often with my brother, who's more than a decade older than me. I was angry, not sad, that there would be no more family vacations, getting everyone into the car and driving to who knows where. I was angry, not sad, knowing that he would miss my adulthood, that he would never meet a woman that I would marry, that never once would any of my children be able to bounce on grandpa's lap. And you know who that hurt? I'm sure it wounded my mother as she watched me try and navigate these waters. And I'm sure that I lashed out at other people, but the, the real person who was hurt was me. Me, to walk around so long with anger instead of just acknowledging that there was something I needed to mourn, that I was sad. And so our first text for this topic is from James. And James says, you must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak. Oh, if that were only true of all of us. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And why? For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. And so for those years between 8 and 23, I was not producing much of God's righteousness. I wonder, we've all acknowledged that we have been angry at certain times in our life. Has ever, anyone ever regretted something they said or that they did while angry? Do you have any remorse? Oh, now Dick Jones throws his hand up. All right. <laughs> you see, anger can throw us into irrational thought and irrational behavior. It may even move us to hop up on stage and slap somebody across the face, as we saw happen on Sunday at the Oscars. You know, in the end, that slap didn't hurt much. Will Smith was the one who was hurt most. You could see his tears and his acceptance speech and everything that's happened to him since then. We can get that image, that angry image off of the screen for us, please. So on a random afternoon, Andrew Jones, our pastor Andrew, just kind of stuck his head into my door and said, anger is morally inert. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. <laughs> anger is morally inert, lacking in ability or strength to move. And then he said, it's what you do with it that matters. It's what you do with your anger. And he's right. Are we self-aware enough to act appropriately? I mean, do we even understand what, what anger really is? Do we understand that as a part of being human, it is a God-given feeling or emotion? Do we understand that every feeling, even anger, is important, given by God, 
and that we need to respect them and pay attention to those kinds of feelings. We must not say that they are good or bad, but we must pay attention to them. We ignore them at our own peril. Anger is, is a legitimate emotion often expressed illegitimately. Instead of serving as a warning light that something isn't right, like a warning light on the dash of the car, it usually becomes an action resulting in sin. And why? Because we lash out. We seek to bring harm to another. And even if we don't seek it, sometimes it just happens. Anger. We all struggle to manage it and to keep it under control. And yet, isn't it interesting that we all feel as if it is a right and privilege for us to express our ang anger without any consequence? It just doesn't work that way. We all experience anger. We get angry. We even at times get angry when others don't get angry about the same things that we are angry about. And as it turns out, friends, hatred and anger are often in the eyes of the beholder and the beholder alone. Have you ever met somebody at any station of life who didn't believe that they were right to be angry? Now we can justify our anger. Christians tend to justify themselves with the phrase, oh, it's righteous anger. Jesus was angry. Everyone believes that their anger is righteous, they're just, their cause is just, and their motives are pure. But we know anger can indeed be a troublesome emotion. We know that anger is an equal opportunity destroyer. It doesn't distinguish between gender or race. Anger only invites us to lose control, to indulge in the perceived gratification of a lost temper. I just had to blow off some steam. There are healthy ways to do that. And yet, if we're not careful, this anger leaves us separated from our friends, separated from our colleagues, separated from our family. It's like we're holding the hatchet of guilt that has been buried in someone else's back. And in our society, I believe that anger has become, and maybe always was, an infectious disease that rears its ugly head everywhere in our homes, on our cars, in our freeways, at sporting events, at work, at the Oscars, and even at church. It is so bad that some social commentators say that we are living in an age of rage. We know that Ralph Waldo Emerson said, for every minute you remain angry, you give up 60 seconds of peace of mind. But as Chris said, she said in this interview, anger is neither good nor bad. It is neither good nor bad. And then she just said two words, anger is. Anger is. What you do with it or how you handle it or how you behave makes it righteous or selfish or hurtful. She really said, you know, really anger lets us know that something is wrong and it can stir us, it can move us to act, but are we going to act in rational ways or are we going to go into something that is irrational and hurtful, even sinful? Andrew mentioned in his children's time, and I have it before us here as well, what Paul said to the church in Ephesus Acknowledging that, yes, anger happens. He says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. And so the question is, how do we keep it from manifesting itself in sinful behaviors, in sinful attitudes, in sinful actions? 
It's important for us to remember again that a feeling is not a mandate that we have to behave in a certain way. We handle, you know, our physical feelings differently as we age. There's all kinds of examples of that. But so too, we should be able to handle our emotional feelings differently as we mature. But I think every single person here can come up with one example of somebody who, even though they're well on in years, has not matured, has not used life experience to help them handle their anger when it rages up in them. We need to be intentional about learning how to respond to our feelings. One of the things Chris said is, think about it as a gauge, one through ten. You know, if you're just at one on the scale, you know, there's something that's a little irritating about you. And acknowledge that. Hey, there's something about this that isn't right. There's something about this that kind of sticks in my crawl. But if we, if we don't, uh, you know, do some really good decision making then, by the time that gets to nine or ten on the, the, the scale, there is smoke coming out of our ears. We have fire in our eyes and nothing rational happens. A couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon on nature versus nurture, and, and some people kind of passed the buck. My parents, you know, my parents didn't teach me well about anger. Some people say my parents were mad at me when I was angry. They'd be angry because I was angry, or they would tell me not to be angry. They would kind of say it's not a legitimate emotion for you at this time. Who here hasn't watched a child in a meltdown and feel frustrated not knowing what to do? Young parents... Maybe a better way for you to handle that when your child is angry is to say, okay, I can see that you're angry. Now, what should we do about it that is healthy? What can we do with this anger and help them navigate those waters? Teach them how to respond before it gets to a nine or a 10 on the scale. What we do with our feelings defines who we are. A very simple question is, what good will come out of my anger if I continue to act this way? But when we're dealing with the anger or we're feeling anger for someone else, I have a key that can unlock that for us. And it's simple. The key is empathy. We need to remember that everyone is fighting a great battle and empathy helps us overcome our anger towards other people. Empathy helps us to be forgiving even when somebody has not asked to be forgiven. The spiritual traditions throughout time and great thinkers before us rightly warn against the potential toxicity and unhealthy cultivated anger. The Buddha said holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You're the only one that's going to get burned. Einstein writes, anger dwells only in the bosom of fools. Plato cautions, there are two things a person should never be angry at, what they can help and what they cannot. And of course, Jesus. Jesus preached, but I tell you, if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. Proverbial wisdom speaks to us, Proverbs 14, 29, people with understanding I would say self-awareness, control their anger, but a hot temper shows great foolishness. We continue on, 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And one final, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And so friends, truthfully, we need to acknowledge that the time has come for us to learn how to be good when we're angry. 
how to be good when we're angry. Because as I said at the outset, sometimes anger is the only right response. And at those times, we need to invite God into our anger. And if we invite God into our anger, it can be channeled into something that is redemptive. In that book I referenced before, Pavlot says, an underappreciated part of Jesus is his, and this is his words, I would never say this in a sermon, an underappreciated part of Jesus is his pissed-offedness, his passionate objections to seeing the powerful preying upon the vulnerable, watching religious hypocrites pollute the system, witnessing uh, the well-fed living close-fisted toward the hungry, You can't have this passionate response to the world without anger as its initial propellant. It is the spiritually combustible ignition point of our activism. There are times when we need to act. He called it ferocity. This ferocity for humanity will often be interpreted negatively by those seeking to do do damage to humanity. It will be labeled as all kinds of things, angry, hateful, by people who benefit from inequality by the people who benefit from injustice. And he says the beautiful collective outrage of good people is actually the antidote to hateful religion. We cannot, we must not uh, uh, grow so tired or complacent or apathetic that we lose our ability to be outraged. It is not rage merely for the sake of rage, but for the sake of justice. He calls it a holy discontent that internally disrupts us, first to the point of agitation and then to action. And we know that places where people of faith, morality, and conscience gather should be a courageous environment where the absolute most difficult aspects of human life are laid bare. And I agree with him. I think that's what love does. I think real love is fierce and relentless, and it risks being misunderstood because of just how passionate it is. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Maybe it's time you stopped being nice and started being Christ-like. That's quite a phrase. Maybe it's time you stopped being nice and become Christ-like. Jesus wasn't always nice. He was always love but not love in a soft, saccharine, hallmark movie, pop song, love kind of way. No, his love flipped tables of of vendors because of the love of the temple of his father's house. He ripped into hypocritical religious leaders who leveraged their position and their power to exploit people. We need a love that looks like Jesus. A love that looks like Jesus is fierce and audacious audacious and bold and courageous. A love that looks like Jesus doesn't sit quietly while bigotry bullies the most vulnerable. A love like Jesus will not be toned... It will not be toned or turned into making nice with discrimination. A love like Jesus does not apologize for its passion for humanity. A love like Jesus will not wilt when it's labeled too political. A love like Jesus is dangerous to injustice. It confronts ugliness. It welcomes turbulence. A love that looks like Jesus will drive us out of the safety of our privilege and into the discomfort of the trenches. A love that looks like Jesus will be called political and angry. And yet, friends, it will love anyway. 
Truthfully, the time has come for us to learn how to be good when we're mad. And it begins, friends, at the cross where Jesus gave his life for us, where he reconciled the world unto himself. So let us reconcile with each other so that we might be freed to worship, freed from anger and full of love. You know, in a very short time, we're going to remember Jesus in the upper room in the midst of Holy Week. But we remember that Jesus was in an upper room with his inner circle And we don't know all of the emotions that Jesus was really experiencing that night. We only have what Scripture has told us. There is no mention of him being angry. But we know even with the one who is going to betray him right there in that room, Jesus took a common loaf of bread, and he broke that bread. And he said, this is my body. It is not taken from me. I give it to you. Take and eat. And that loaf worked its way around the table as everyone was fed. When the supper was over, he took one of the containers of wine and he paused and first said a prayer of thanksgiving. And then he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And I, I wonder just how well he knew how often we were going to do this, how often we would remember him. And so the disciples did not have full understanding yet, but the time would come on the day of Pentecost. But since the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, God's faithful men and women, young and old, have gathered together at this table and remembered. And so in just a moment, I am going to say a prayer to invite the Holy Spirit's presence. We're going to join our voices together in the prayer that Jesus taught us. And then we're going to pull back the thin layer of cellophane to receive the wafer we'll take together. And then we will receive the cup of blessing for the forgiveness of sins. And then there's going to be a musical element. And when that musical element is taking place, it's going to be beautiful. I invite you to lose yourself in it. I invite you to reflect about the way in which anger manifests itself in your life and how you can respond in ways that are transformational. And so would you pause with me for a word of prayer? Almighty and loving God, we thank you for the opportunity to freely be here and to worship you this day. Our thoughts go out to all of your children around the world who are filled with fear, whose safety is uncertain, whose family members are dying and possessions are being taken. But Almighty God, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts, the bread of life and the cup of blessing. Lord, let them be exactly that for us as we approach this table this day. Almighty God, make us one with all your children all around the world. Make us one with the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and who will welcome us home when our time comes to be born into eternity. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.